go back to our song. Hey everyone, Paul here with a quick message for you before the show today. As James and I have mentioned many times on the show, this podcast is a 100% not-for-profit labor of our love for music, and we pride ourselves in bringing you interesting, timely content as we have these past 100-plus episodes. Podcasting is, however, a weirdly expensive process, and we actually lose money on hosting, time, equipment, advertising, and all the little things that we need to make these shows for you. So, to help break even on expenses like those, James and I have set up a Patreon account where you can, if you like, chip in a few bucks to help us keep the lights on. Now, it can be as much or as little as you can swing, and all donations are greatly appreciated, large or small. Could be a buck. Hey, the last thing we want to do is hound anyone for cash, so just know that you listening to our show is always payment enough. But, if you would like to help us out, that would also be cool. All right, that's all from me. But remember, you can head to patreon.com slash thirdmenpodcast and donate today. And a huge thank you to everyone who's donated already. Seriously, that took us by surprise, and we couldn't believe how many we got in the first couple hours of the show being up on Patreon. Okay, enough from me, for real this time, on with the show. The Third Men Podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun celebration of Jack White and is in no way directly affiliated with Third Man Records or the man himself. For the definitive history of Jack White and his music, please consult your local Jack White. And for everyone else looking for a home, you found one here, in a place so seedy. Enjoy! James, oh, hey, listen, thank you so much for letting me do this. I can't believe you said yes. It's amazing. I'm just, so, I'm really excited to do that. I've never opened for a podcast before, but I'm like super excited about it. Where can I put my clavinet? Uh, you can't. See, we at the podcast have what's called a green room. You have what's called outside, so you can store it outside. <laughs> And hopefully the... How about the tuba? The tuba... Tuba section. It's a tuba section. There's like... Oh, it's a whole section. 45 guys with tubas. It's going to be a really big sound. Okay, they're actual... Ma- I thought it was just going to be you playing 45 tubas. That would be extraordinarily impressive. And you know what? James, I would say... that's could... ridiculous. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous of me to uh, have assumed oh th- there go the tuba men now yeah there they are they tube while they walk it's funny 
so let me, let me just get this straight. So, uh, so me and the rest of my ensemble, as I mentioned, we are a 46 piece. It's just me and the tubas. So it's 46 piece. So it's a clavinet and 45 tubas. <laughs> yeah, so I, I'm playing clavinet. I have the 45 tubas. We are the band Thunder Fanny, and we're going to be just doing totally instrumental versions of uh, famous movie themes on the tuba. I'm very excited. And just you know, one give of, me just a, give me give me a give me a taste of one of the movie themes you'll be doing. <laughs> I just need to know a ballpark of how much time I'm allowed to spend with this crowd. I was thinking maybe three or four hours. No, let's go with three or four minutes on this show. You know, when you told me that we, I was going to be able to do this, like I got really excited. So like yeah. I'm, I'm a little bummed actually yeah, that you're well, being so mean about this. You and this. me both, we're both a little bummed and your name is kind of bumming me out too, uh, Thunder Fanny. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Just do your thing. Three or four hours should be fine. I'm going to go get a coffee. And yeah, uh, to all our listeners, enjoy Thunder Fanny. Here you go. (laughs) Sure sounds like a man cupping his hands and singing movie themes. We're back. And 45 tuba men milling about behind him. (laughs) We're back from summer break. We're, We're back. Paul, it's We're no back. longer summer. It's the fall. Back to school. Hear the through yell. the hall. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, uh, so uh, I think we can be friends. Yeah, it's we could do sa- that. It's the, name of the, it's the name of the song. I think we could be friends. Here's something fun. There's such a weird delay on my computer right now, and I have no idea if it's actually recording or not. Um, I think it is, because I see some waveforms, but it's, it's sure stressing me out a little bit. Welcome back. To the Third Men Podcast. This is a Jack White History Podcast where we go over Jack White music and movies and albums and ancillary acts and all kinds of stuff, James. And we're in season four. We're out of the lucky number three. Into season four. Yeah, we did it. We did what... Couldn't be done. What Jack White could never do. uh, Move on to the number four. (laughs) (laughs) Like a Sesame Street episode on repeat. He just never got past number three. James... We're really excited, as the dumb skit at the top of this suggests, we're going to be spending our grand return back from summer break to do a little, uh, what you'd call, maybe an opening act for the season. James? Ooh, yeah. Well, we're opening this new season with Thunder Fanny and this new episode, and uh, we're glad to have you back. We're, uh-huh. uh, we're excited. Yeah. I have a child now, it seems. Uh, <laughs> we can only assume. We can only assume that we're not recording this ahead of time. But yeah, so uh, we're we're excited, and uh, we're bringing you a, a fresh batch of new apps. And uh, this one is going to be an exciting one. Paul, what do we got in store for today? Well, today, James, we are going to be talking about Jack White's solo opening acts. It's going to be part. <gasps> one of a series where we're going to go through some of the different opening acts for each of the Jack White band iterations slash tours slash eras of his career. And this week, James, we're going to be concentrating on solo Jack. So we got a lot of cool stuff coming up for that. All sorts of different acts, different genres, all that have opened for him since mm. his solo touring began in 2012's Blunderbuss and continued into Lazaretto. And of course, 
boarding house reach from 2018 the last solo tour we got and james we're very very excited because we have a very special guest at the end of this episode that did in fact open for jack white yeah we're we're very very excited we are joined by isaiah radkey from the band radkey which opened up for jack on the blunderbuss tour and we're so excited to talk to isaiah today it's going to be a lot of fun. We think you're all going to really enjoy it. But we've got a lot of cool stuff coming up this season. I know we promised a Help Us Stranger album analysis and review when we came back. But like we said, this is the opening act to that. So you're going to get that too. Don't worry. Calm down. Listen to some yeah. Thunder Fanny and calm down. Hey, strangers, help us help you. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Help you help us help you to help help us us. yeah help us just help us someone help us someone please help us (laughs) in fact james we have so much cool stuff coming this season it's i am filled with anxiety right now because i'd rather just have it all out but we got to space this stuff a little bit we've got some very exciting interviews with some people in the third man world in addition to isaiah and whoo Oh, it's going to be a doozy this season we thank you for waiting through all those best of episodes as ben blackwell said Best ofs. Yes. <laughs> and as I said, the ones you skip on Netflix. <laughs> but James. Except the episodes in Star Trek The Next Generation. Paul, that Riker device, uh, the flashback device that they have the on worst. the Starship Enterprise. It's the worst. It's the single It's the best. Worst. It's the best. You know, you're very good at this. Very good. Much better than you realize. Well, I hope I'm better than you realize. <laughs> <laughs> James. A, all right. No, d- quick diversion. There is a device on the Starship Enterprise that is specifically designed to give you flashbacks. <laughs> to previous episodes. <laughs> to previous episodes. But only previous episodes. Any time in between. No, 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 no. <laughs> James, before we get to all of that. Uh, yeah, we had to talk a little bit more about Star Trek. No, Paul. We... <laughs> I will remove that burden of responsibility right now. <laughs> did you fall in love this summer? I did. I had a summer love. Summer love. There's a different energy when we record these in the morning than yeah, at night. I know. I know. There's a much different it's energy. Of, it's more pleasant. I think everyone it's, will be happier. <laughs> I think everyone will be happier. Yes, James, I fell in love with a show. Oh, it's fell in love with a show. James, would you like to tell the people what fell in love with the show is? I'd love to. It's when we, the hosts, go out and go to a Jack White-related show or Third Man-related show, and we basically, we love it, and we want to tell you all about it, and we had some experiences that we just got to get off our chests, Paul. Yeah, we like it, we love it, and we've got to have it. We've got to have it. The Cold Stone Creamery system. You know, doing that best of... I got to hear myself get more and more agitated with (laughs) you saying that each and every time we did it. And I got to hear you revel in the fact that it was agitating me more and more every time. So, James, definitely not last night at the time of this recording. I experienced... A wonderful show from the Rackin' Tours. This was my third time seeing the Help Us Stranger Tour. The first being at Amoeba Records. The second being mm. the night after at that little club, which I've forgotten the name of. Uh, it's the Catch One. Catch One. Catch One, yeah. And the uh, third time being this at the Greek Theater in mm-hmm. uh, Griffith Park here in Los Angeles. Listeners of the podcast will remember that third person 
Stephen Scott, who joined us on an episode that I can't quite recall, saw the Tours as well in uh, the Greek theater here in Los Angeles when he saw, I believe, the Consolers of the Lonely Tour. And what a wonderful venue to see Jack White live. Yeah, as Jonah Hill would say, get him to the Greek. There we are. There's the... There we are. There's that season four. Or, instead of that, we could go see the Pixies in the Mars Volta play a show. Uh, but yeah, Paul, I, it's amazing that your your memory is spanning so far back. I know this is just way in the past for you. Um, <laughs> but it sounded as if you had an amazing night. You got a cool souvenir. I'd love to hear all about it, Paul. So you called me right before you got to the show. Yeah. And you told me all about another show that I'm sure we'll get into. The other night, I did have an amazing experience at a Lily May concert, which was the album release party, and also here in Los Angeles at a place called Gold Diggers. And we're going to get to that. I think it's episode 109. We're going to do that one. The long and short of it is I got to spend a lot of time with the Rishi family and got to know Frank and Lily May and Scarlett and they're lovely people. And anyway, Lily May and her band opened for Jack of the Greek. So I actually saw Lily May two nights in a row, which was a lot of fun. So did you get to the show early? What was what was the venue like? Yeah, so the Greek, I've seen a couple of things at the Greek. I saw Karen Elson at the Greek once before oh, okay. uh, opening for scumbag extraordinaire and fake punk jacket liar Ryan Adams. <laughs> and I also saw Ringo Starr at the Greek and believe I also saw Bare Naked Ladies? I th- uh, that was in Las Vegas, Paul. You saw no, there. No, no, but I believe I, I saw Bare Naked Ladies as well at the Greek. So I've seen a few shows there now, and it's a great venue. It's kind of like the Hollywood Bowl, which if you haven't been, is an open-air amphitheater tucked mm-hmm. in the Hollywood Hills. That's the Hollywood Bowl. And in this case, the Greek Theater is an open-air amphitheater that's a little bit smaller, and it's tucked into the Griffith Park Mountains. So a okay. little bit different, but... Very, very similar venue. And yeah, as James, as you mentioned, I called you on the way up. I parked two American miles away from the venue so I could skip out on parking. And What's that in kilometers? Alexa, (laughs) what is two miles in kilometers? Alexa doesn't want to answer me. (laughs) Well, needless to say, this is in the middle of summer. It was, I want to say, 97 degrees outside, and that two-mile walk was uphill. Uh, So I was exhausted. I was absolutely exhausted showing up in a flop sweat, just out of breath. But anyway, I showed up at the venue. I got a ticket for another friend of mine, and uh, I had to arrange that. So I got there considerably early as the gates were opening. So I got in, ran into some people from work, which was awesome. I didn't realize quite so many people from work were going to this show and got my wristband for the pit. Now, I didn't even realize the Greek had a pit because, as I say, it's an open-air amphitheater. But it does. It has a very small pit right in front of the stage. It's filled with rancors. I believe you're referring to Sarlax. Well, no, the Rancor pit is still there. It's the Rancor is more of a dungeon situation. The Sarlax is a pit. I would call it a pit. I mean, sure, the Sarlax <laughs> has its designation as pit, but the Rancor... <laughs> I did not fight any Sarlax or Rancor. Is, a, is the Sarlax singular, or are there... Yes, it's a big word. But are there multiple Sarlax, or is it just the one yes. in existence? Well, there's the one that they know of. 
and then there's more out there. I just think that Jabba knows where one exists. There are, and he's like, "That's where I'm gonna throw all my enemies." There are 45 other Sarlaccs, all playing tubas underground. Dear Wikipedia, how many Sarlaccs are there? <laughs> Different energy to the morning recordings. Different energy. Different energy. Call it's called a rancor pit. James, I rescind my mockery of you. And stand by my claim that that is a dungeon. But I am willing to concede that it can be two things. Okay, fuck. <laughs> so anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm in the pit for this. Now, this is a Yonder show. My last two Raconteurs concerts were not Yonder shows. So I was able to take pictures and stuff and... I know Jack doesn't like that. I know our friends at Third Man don't like that. It's part of how I enjoy a show, and I try not to be disrespectful or block other people's view with it. And whenever Jack's looking at me, I put it away so that I can engage with him and make eye contact, yada, yada, yada. I understand the thinking there, but it's part of how I enjoy a show. Anyway, was not tempted with that here because it was a Yonder show. Got into the pit, met up with my good buddy Jeff, who was also in attendance with me at the Margot Price show I saw at the Fonda, the Olivia Jean show I saw last year. The Kneeling at the Anthem DC show, I think this is our fourth event attended together, (laughs) and I could pick him out very easily because he's always, he and I tend to go to these things alone, and he's got a very long beard, and so I was able to pick him out. Anyway, we spoke for a while, it was nice catching up with him. I ran into a couple other people from some of the other raconteur shows that I saw recently. And because this was a Yonder show, no one knows what to go do with their time while waiting for the act, to, the opening act to come on. So we were just sort of looking around and being tired and uh-huh. milling about. Milling about, yeah. So anyway, Lily Mae came on and, <laughs> you know, as Frank was plugging his guitar in, and we'll get to this when we get to episode 109, where we're going to talk a little bit more about that Lily Mae show. I shouted out to Frank. I shouted, kill, it, kill him, Frank. And he looked, because I was shouting distance like this the greek pit it's really like i don't know maybe five or ten feet tops in wait diameter not width but diameter and it's really really close to the stage so this was i think a the closest i've ever been to a jack white concert and i recently saw very small shows where i was very close this Mm. one i think is maybe tied with like the broken boy soldiers tour for how close i was very close. Anyway, so Frank could hear me. It was like sh- saying something to somebody on the other side of like a living room. Like that's how close we were. <laughs> and so he looked at me and he gave, you know, pointed and was like, yeah, yeah. And, you know, gave me the, I'm going to do great. You know, the little thumbs up and everything. So I talked to Frank. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> and the Lily May set was great. She did she did a really great job. She did play Honky Tonks and Taverns, which I thought might have been because I brought it up the other night, but I don't think so because she also played these days, so I think she was peppering in a couple yeah. of tunes from Forever and Then Some. But it was a great set, and she was a little nervous, you know? She was a little, like, halfway through it. She's like, all right, my nerves have finally calmed down a little bit. She gets um, that way in live shows, it seems. She has a little bit of stage jitters, which, I mean, it makes sense. Like, everybody gets them, but it's kind of like, oh, you're playing great. I Keep know. Going. That's weird, because when I saw the Karen Elson show at the Greek with Susanna, Karen was the same way. She was, like, apologizing or, like, nervous to the point of apology or, like, she owed the audience some explanation for why she was there. Like, you don't. You're the opening act. Yeah. You're doing great. Like, it's fine. One other bit of stage banter from the Lily May show, which was fun, was that she played the song Blue Heart, which I think is off the new album, and she said she wrote it about the 
blue heart emoji. Now, I think ah. that's a joke, but I'm also, like, not totally sure it's a joke. Is there a uh, millennial meaning to that? Is I don't. Is there a Gen, Gen Z meaning to that? I do not know if there's a millennial meaning to that. Uh, humans <laughs> have long associated the feeling of love with their heart, the organ used to pump blood around the body. All right, the symbol this for is, Valentine's Day um, is let a me heart. Cut you off a blue right heart there. can symbolize a deep and stable love, trust, harmony, peace, and loyalty. Right. That's from iemoji.com. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's a trusted resource. Anyway, Lily May's uh, set was great. She, I was expecting, because her and Scarlett were there, I was hoping they would come on later and do the fiddle duel at the end of oh, that'd be Thoughts so and good, Prayers. But they don't do Thoughts and Prayers on this tour. Well, we'll get to the set list in a minute, but this was a lot different. This show was a lot different than the ones I saw at Amoeba and at the that club, because this was, I guess, the full tour version of it a little bit. But right. uh, they had pillars, like Greek, or columns, rather throughout and i don't know if those are unique to this tour unique to the venue because it's a it's the greek but yeah. either way it was really cool and that those combined with the light show like they covered the lights which lit the band in different ways from behind which is really cool yeah. now i as i mentioned i was so close and pretty dead center so i could see both sides of off stage and carla azar was watching from off stage oh, nice she caught the lily may set and then there were some other people there that i didn't recognize but I was uh, I was on the lookout for Ben Jenkins as well because I know he sometimes does these California shows and yeah the Rex came on the set was another scorcher. So what's the paper say about tomorrow? Another scorcher. Cool. Jack was really really high energy, even more so maybe than the club show and that club show he was really high energy for the set list didn't really vary much at all in fact i it got to it's been getting to the point where i'm like really looking to hear songs i've never heard them play before and i right. haven't gotten that really although they did play last night they did play shine a light on me and that was great because i hadn't heard that yet live and they did a great version of it because there's that harmony and stuff and mm-hmm. just really really good stage version of that actually it's so funny brendan always has been seeming on this tour a little like not unprepared or awkward but like i guess just like way too comfy like jack is so high energy and jumping around and brendan like when you watch him he's just sort of over there noodling on the guitar and not taking it too seriously and looking very relaxed which i think is a yeah it's a good thing he didn't forget any lyrics last night which i was I was impressed because he forgot lyrics at the last two shows that I saw. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and Jack was poking at him more than he did at the last two shows. Okay. Uh, at, in all three of these shows, I've noticed one thing. Jack goes over and just f***s with Brendan a little bit. I like, saw a picture of him uh, playing his guitar. Yeah. He reached, <laughs> he reached his arm around and covered the neck of the guitar so you couldn't <laughs> hear what Brendan was playing. And as Brendan was playing, and Brendan didn't, like, stop. <laughs> he just kept going. <laughs> so either he didn't notice or thought it was funny or whatever. And Jack did that a few times. And, but Brendan sounded good. His his voice was really on point. They had the whole Greek singing, here right now, we're not dead yet. You know, nice, yeah. Really loud. And the, the pit was a really great atmosphere. Tom Valenti and his wife, Erin Gallagher, were also there in the pit with me, although they were back a few people because by the time they got there, I couldn't really lose my spot so i kind of had to stay put and just sort of shout at them but no they so they were there and and enjoyed it as well and yeah it was it was like being inside an imax concert movie 
like I can't even describe like the fact that I was that close to that to that band mm-hmm. with all the lights and all that going on and it was a totally immersive experience because as I've mentioned so close that I didn't have like a periphery outside of the concert like my whole field of vision was just the show yeah so it was probably I'm gonna go ahead and say the most immersive Jack White concert I've ever had I felt like okay. I like I was inside the show like I was a part of it how was the volume was it uh because the the last couple shows have been really really loud you you had mentioned yeah this one was loud too my ears were ringing but again I think it's just because I was so damn close for all three of these things uh my ears were ringing so distractingly loudly it took me a while to fall asleep last night <laughs> um, oh god yeah but they're they're better now anyway the set was great the encore came Jack looked he was like rushing around and he was asking the roadies and talking to the roadies and I knew something was going on and that's when I thought aha Lily Mae and Scarlett are gonna come out yes you know I'm gonna we're gonna get thoughts and prayers and they're gonna do it they didn't but Josh Holm from Queens of the Stone Age came out oh nice and another guy who I don't know (laughs) uh someone on the thinking persons group I think it was Melinda said it it she thinks it's someone from the Melvins Okay, that would make sense because I... But she got that information from somebody, and they didn't know for sure either. So this is hearsay and speculation. Possible Melvin. Possible Melvin. I'm pretty sure it'll be available by the time of this recording, so maybe we'll just insert it right here. But anyway, so they came out and they did Blue Veins with Jack. Ah, man. And this was a particularly animated Blue Veins, as they always are. Yes. But in this case, you had another guy soloing during the whole thing, and the fella from the Melvins on the keys, and Jack was going over to each of them and dueling solo sometimes. Just It was a mind-blowing Blue Veins. Really, really good Blue Veins. Another highlight was Carolina Drama done on that acoustic-electric hybrid mm-hmm. thing he's got, and uh, that one was really great because they went and transitioned straight into Steady as She Goes from that, and Jack did the Are You Steady Now, and he did all that, all that stuff. I, do, you, do you like the sound of that guitar? I'm not sure I fully understand it yet. I like the sound of it because it can transition, and Jack can pivot between solo and acoustic. It's not like the okay. Rita or the... Claudette Colbert guitar or whatever those which is just a full acoustic thing so I actually mm-hmm. like it and it, it gives a distinct visual to this tour you know he always, he's it been does, trotting yeah. out yeah he's been trotting out unique guitars to each tour the last couple times and this one is a welcome addition because it feels like the tours, but it also feels like yeah we're doing acoustic but we're also you yeah. know this is a rock and roll show did, did he bring out the flying V at all? Yes, he played the Flying V a few times. He played every guitar that was on the stage a few times. It, you know, he was just, he was in great, seemed to be in great spirits. Brendan w- talked a lot, but you could hardly hear him. So he talked to the audience for quite a bit, but no one could understand what the hell he was saying. <laughs> so he was chatty. One of the other cool things was uh, during Bored and Raised, you know, because I saw this tour three times in California at the beginning when they say California born and raised or born and raised, yeah. the crowd goes crazy and all that stuff. Insert yeah. hometown here. Yeah, right. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> this morning we were driving down Route 401. That's only four miles from my house. And we thought they knew how to rock in Shelbyville. Yeah. 
nobody rocks like Springfield. <laughs> and yeah, after the show was over, I I knew Jack and Brandon both threw picks, and I sort of charted their trajectory, but couldn't quite get to where the area I thought they were. Mm-hmm. One was thrown very close to me, and it was a Brandon pick. But, so, the long and short of it is, after the lights came up, I immediately scanned down to where I thought it might be, and lo and behold, the pick oh, was shit. there. Nice. Grab grab the pick. So I'm not sure if it's a Jack or a Brendan. It could be either, although I'm leaning towards it being a Brendan pick, but it's a really awesome pick because it's got the Raconteurs logo on it. Yeah. And uh, it's it's embossed with it, or uh, maybe not embossed, but it's carved into it, too. Does it have a three on the back? No. You'll know it's a Jack pick if it has a three on okay, it. Okay, let me, let me go. There is no three on the back of this one. Yeah, so it's probably a Brendan pick. But that's the pick. That is awesome, dude. Yeah. So that was cool, because I didn't buy any souvenirs, because it was, I don't know, I Dad just got me a cool new Tour shirt, so like I could have got a new shirt, but I was like, I just got one, I don't need another. But yeah, so I didn't get that, or the poster. I could have got the poster, I was there in time to get the poster. I know Melinda Taylor said that she wasn't able to get it, but I just, yeah, at that point I was just like, I can't, I don't want to spend any more money. It was less of like, a, I don't want this stuff, and more like, a, I don't want to spend $50 at a merge table. I'm just going to take this experience. And and I was, after I got the pick, I was like, oh, well, there's my souvenir. You know, like, yeah. that's that's a pretty good souvenir. Yeah, that's uh, it's a part of the show. Instead of it just being, you know, a piece of merchandise made for the show, you have a part of the show. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Jack was chatty, too. I don't remember much of the stage banter, but he seemed disappointed in us a few times. We are trying to put a tiny thrill into their grey little lives. Playfully so. And I don't okay. remember why or c- couldn't really quite make out why. Uh, but the encore energy was kind of on the low side. Good night, Springton. There will be no encores. So, <laughs> this is Jack Lawrence came out first, and like kept raising the his arms up to get the crowd to scream louder, <laughs> <laughs> like he was the mayor trying to coax Punxsutawney Phil out of the hole. <laughs> But it was fun. It was the most animated I've ever seen Jack Lawrence in my life because he was smiling and doing the thing with his. And he did it for a while. Like he was trying to get people to. And so then, anyway, yeah, that was the show. I uh, I hopped on a scooter so I didn't have to walk those two American miles back down to the car. Oh man, and, look at you using those birds. Yeah, or lime or whatever it is over I, there. I used the lime, and I had a guy come up from behind me, and he said. Birds, dude, don't lime. Birds, dude, don't lime. And I didn't know why he was saying it or any of that. I still don't, actually. I had a wonderful time on the lime. <laughs> I don't know if they're, like, <laughs> investing in blood diamonds or they're, like, Rupert Murdoch's personal scooter. I don't know what I don't know what the deal is, but I used it, and it was fun. So that was the Tours at the Greek Theater. That's amazing. I'm really uh, jealous of your pick. Uh, that is a really cool souvenir to have. You should frame that. I might use it. Yeah, use. I mean, play the <laughs> yeah. drums with it. Well, uh, I'm excited. Uh, you've you've got me pumped to see. I mean, I've already seen the Rackin tours. <laughs> it's the summer's over. I'm very excited to have seen the Rackin tours. I think our charade uh, is working. They were great when I saw them too. 
Let's do a fell in love with the show for that one also. We should. And that has been fell in love with the show. Yeah, and that's a fell in love with the show. I said it was before, but it bears repeating now. All right, James, what say we get into this topic here? Let's mosey on down and open up this topic. Is that a pun? <laughs> James, tell me about Jack White's opening acts. The uh, Let's start off with the Blunderbuss Tour, eh? Ah, the Blunderbuss Tour 2012. Oh. Yeah, there was... <laughs> I always say simpler time. On the Blunderbuss tour, Jack definitely had a type that he was working with. He had about nine openers this tour in 2012. Wow. That's quite a bit. That we could figure out. I mean, it's ridiculously hard for some reason to find who these opening bands are without looking at the gig posters. And thank you all out there for actually finding these for us, essentially. You all came out in force and sent it to us on Twitter and Facebook and everything. Answered our questions. It was great. So thank you guys so much. That was the biggest response to any question we've ever asked on the internet ever. And that includes that time I asked everyone if I was a furry and if that just meant I had a lot of body hair. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I got a lot of explicit responses to yeah. that one. The answer, by the way, is yes, surprisingly. There's a reason we deleted that post, Paul. I was so <laughs> offended, I took my computer and buried it in the woods. Um, anyway. Are you sure you don't want to talk more about my body hair? <laughs> so, Nine, you found you, you found Nine. That's incredible. Yeah, so... I had found the nine that you guys had sent in, and all of them had kind of a through line of being kind of Americana throwbacks, and uh, one that kind of exemplifies that is uh, one that you know and I know, Paul, is Mr. Pokey Lafarge. Ah, yes. Yeah, uh, and I believe me and you, Paul, saw him open up for Jack on the Blunderbuss tour during Radio City. That's right. That's right. I think that was my first exposure to the Pokey, and I remember really enjoying the song Central Time. Yeah, and that's pretty much all we knew about Pokey, I think, at the time. You know, we heard Central Time, and we we're like, oh, that's a delightful little ditty. And I think we got it on that free CD from Mojo. I, James, I think this even predates that. I think I heard it first live, remembered it, and then later on sought it out. And it remains my favorite Pokey Lafarge song, because it is catchy and it is memorable. Yeah, definitely. I do remember you telling me about Central Time, the song, not the time zone, a while ago. (laughs) Uh, You were the one who actually told me about it. If you haven't heard our episode about Pokey Lafarge, you guys can check that out. It's some episode way far back now. Uh, important, Important to note, I mean, Pokey joining Jack on this tour says a lot about the kinds of acts he was going to associate with Blunderbuss, because, and we'll get into the other band's opening acts on a later show, but, you know, for instance, <laughs> Dead Weather openers wouldn't have been Pokey. You could make an argument tours might have, but certainly yeah. there is a tone he's going for here and he had just met pokey i think again you mentioned we did a whole episode on him this is a very nashville based connection that he has brewed here and the fact that pokey's joining him on this mm-hmm. tour i think is a signifier not just of where he was at in his life but where he thought the blunderbuss tour fit into the musical landscape yeah blunderbuss definitely didn't sound like anything jack white had ever 
put out before. So I think he was carefully curating these things to go along with the sound that Blunderbuss was going to have. You know, it didn't sound like, you know, a Dead Weather album, like you said. It didn't sound like a White Stripes record. It had a definitive kind of rock and roll country kind of twang. And Pokey was perfect for this. And Pokey was about to release a single with Third Man. A lot of these opening acts were actually also releasing singles or live albums with Third Man around this time. So kind of interesting there. Pokey's got kind of a retro throwback thing. I know he hates that word retro, but yeah. it's, you know, it is what it is. But he's got a, a good sound and people really respond to it. Here's something via pinecone.org. As an opening act on Jack White's Blunderbuss tour, he delighted sold-out crowds at Red Rocks Amphitheater and Radio City Music Hall, the one we were at, among other notable venues in North America. And I think that's a good way to describe him as delightful. He is a good warm-up act for Jack. He gets the crowd moving. He gets the crowd grooving. Everybody's kind of, you know, well, what's this? You know, it's it's a good way to, to ease the crowd into, yes. you know, a yeah. raucous Jack White show. Definitely delighted. And it's nice to hear that he joined him for a series of shows. Obviously, that Blunderbuss tour was a big tour, so we're going to be covering many different acts. But it's nice to know that there was a little leg of shows that he joined Jack for. And we've heard from people who enjoy Red Rocks Amphitheater. I really uh, would be interested in attending a show there one day based on all the really great stories we hear coming out of there. And as we as they mentioned, yeah, we mm-hmm. saw him at Radio City. And that was an interesting spot. And obviously that Radio City show, not the one we saw, but night one was the controversial night. And so Pokey was there for that. And I don't know, you know... I, was friends with jack at that point i'm sure he understood yeah i mean maybe he didn't delight the crowd enough (laughs) the controversy being jack didn't play an encore and cut the set short or whatever because he felt there was problems there you can hear all about that on many different (laughs) episodes i think we covered that on uh, the blunderbuss tour episode yeah well we'll move on from pokey right to another great band the alabama shakes yes for jack on this tour as well Paul, I remember you saw them on this tour, right? Yeah, I saw them open for Jack at Roseland, and they were about to blow up at that point. They were about to release that album of theirs that got all that crazy radio play, and so they were about, they were just about to get on Saturday Night Live. They were heating up at this point in their careers, and of course, they would have interaction with Margot Price prior or i guess during this time alabama shakes front woman Brittany howard was friends with Margot and helped enable the recording of midwest farmer's daughter so yeah a lot of brewing jack connections there certainly connections in nashville once again this highlights the jack nashville connection he's bringing a lot of country and folk yeah, acts on and with it's him. funny you mentioned that they were about to blow up jack white actually talks about that uh, this is yep. via alabama.com or al.com. A long time ago, the Alabama Shakes wanted to be on Third Man Records, White said. Whoa. And I told them at the time, whatever it was, 2010 or something, I said, you know, you guys are really blowing up. I'd rather you go with a major <laughs> label because I don't think we're in a place where we could really handle and support <laughs> no. you on a humongous level that you're about to crack into. And I wouldn't say that now. I would say yes, uh. definitely, very much so. We're a good place for you to be, and probably Damn better it. than a major label for a band. That was a like close. Yeah, that was a close call. Yeah, 
Third Man almost had them. It's like a one of the many close calls they've had. They almost had Adele and stuff. Well, they just weren't. Yeah, I mean, like you said, the infrastructure just wasn't there. They had just started in 2009, really in earnest. So yeah. it just wasn't. It wasn't. They weren't ready. But that sucks. <laughs> it really does suck. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, and their sets were really extremely well-received for an opener. This is via Spin Magazine. Whether White got a boost in voltage from the Sheik's well-received set, or the Sheik's were surfing the triumphant swell of White's cresting wave, the mood in the packed house was crackling as the headliner and his band took to the stage for the striped standard Dead Leaves in the Dirty Ground. The audience stayed on its feet for two full sets, which did not include Seven Nation Army, by the way. First Nighters instead got a revved up steady as she goes that came into its own as an arena anthem. They were really getting them pumped up there on stage, and it made a energy in the room that a lot of people noticed. <laughs> That's a shame about the Alabama Shakes not joining Third Man Records, but, you know, good for them. And I don't know if you've heard Brittany Howard's solo release recently, but it was good. Like, she's... She's got some chops. It's different than Alabama Shakes because Alabama Shakes has more of that Almond Brothers y Zeppelin kind of. Not. You know what? That's kind of wrong. Definitely the Zeppelin, but it's it's less Almond Brothers and more Leonard Skinner almost. Like that country rock sound. So okay. when Brittany Howard released her solo track, it sounded very different. It did not have much of that on there. It sounded a little more poppy, to be honest. A little more experimental it's really good if anybody hasn't checked that out i think it just came out this summer so oh nice yeah Brittany howard's super talented the alabama shakes going back to the topic uh the alabama shakes would release some live stuff with third man yeah, Brittany howard also oh. did a blue room single with ruby amanfu oh yeah that's a great one too the next opener we have is luke wilson king so this one i don't know at all yeah i didn't either but uh he's a rawlins fella Gotcha. This is coming via NOLA.com. His own music has always skewed vintage. His earlier efforts, I'm glad Trouble Don't Last Always, is his fifth album and third national release for the respected Americana music label Bloodshot, favored pre-World War II blues. His natty, Depression-era sartorial style only reinforced his presentation's retro quality. So again, we have that kind of old-school Americana retro vibe going on with the opening act. Once again, they keep labeling these acts as retro. Did they say the Bloodshot Records, the label? Yes. Okay, great. Yeah. Yeah. That's one that Jack visited with Ben Blackwell. I think he told us that story in the 100th episode. Oh, I vaguely remember. And they got a shirt. Yeah, because they were uh, Jack and Meg and Ben went to visit that label in i want to say chicago and jack got the t-shirt of hank williams Hmm. right i think so Uh, sure and if you want to learn more about what paul's talking about which i clearly don't you can find more about it on the ben blackwell extended interview which is episode 100 right yeah that's luke winslow king and from there we're going to move on to willie moon another one i don't know yeah, he's a New Zealander, and he opened for Jack White at a few different places uh, like Edinburgh and Scotland and stuff. He's got kind of a 50s style, uh, like a throwback kind of yeah. deal. Once again, we have that throwback soundy thing. I don't know. At a certain point, is it just throwback or is it just like 
just now. I don't know. He does the 50s thing with kind of a twist. He kind of throws some sampling and stuff in with his laptop. This is coming via Interview Magazine. Moon seems to have taken those lessons to heart in his music as he pillages ideas, phrases, and imagery from the heyday of mid-50s rockabilly, mixing in his Buddy Holly-style vocals and the 21st century beats he cooks up on a laptop. Ah. So he's crooning to some beats. And this is coming via New York Times. He was signed to a major label before he ever played a gig. Mr. Moon was noticed by Jack White, who released his single Railroad Track and took him on tour in England last year. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I've never heard that. I'd be interested to hear that. Me neither, but let's play some right here. So next up, we have Lainey Lane. Oh, yes. Yeah, I really like her stuff a lot, actually. She's got a wonderful little rockabilly thing going on that I really gravitated to. I think she came up in our research on another episode. I really gravitated to it. It's it's fun. It's exciting sounding music. Yeah. And she opened for him in Australia, in Sydney, uh, and she would later make a Blue Room single with Jack at Third Man Records. This is coming via NME. I know. I'm sorry. Yeah. Jack White has recorded two tracks with Australian singer Lainey Lane. The first, Ain't Hungry, is described as a sassy stomp, while the second, My Man, has been labeled a lovelorn lament on her return from Nashville. Tennessee Lane said of the experience, it was an honor to be asked by Jack to record with him at Third Man. I was so inspired by the whole process and how raw and instinctively everything happened. I got so much out of the experience, and I'm very proud of the end result. Yeah, these opening acts are really a who's who of the early years of Third Man, actually. It's kind of, it's fun to take a tour through these things because... We know how those relationships would continue to evolve. Yeah. Speaking of which, the next act is First Aid Kit, whom you might remember from a Blue Series single. Yeah, that's a relevant act. Yeah, so relevant that it's actually hard to find information on them opening for Jack. They did a Blue Room single with Jack, so you just kind of get lost in the weeds on Google with that stuff. They're an interesting one. I tried to get into them. I like them okay. I know some people who really love them. They're more in the vein of that opioid rock kind of thing which is a phrase i've been coining lately because a lot of lana del rey and those kinds of acts that are just really low-key kind of sad air air. yeah well air would be like an early version of that they're almost like a techno version of that but okay yeah it's something that i have to be in a very specific mood to want to listen to but i do like them you know i think they're you know they sound good didn't they perform or no maybe they just showed up at one of those um, third man halloween parties the devil's night parties yeah that was actually a rag and bone <laughs> um i think a feather poked one of them in the eye <laughs> Uh, it's in, I think, the first Halloween episode, episode four. Oh, man, we're just uh, like episode four, and I think we're yeah. just referencing a lot of episodes again. Yeah, but why not? <laughs> Who cares? It's what we do. Anyway, First Aid Kit would come back on stage after they open to sing We're Gonna Be Friends with Jack. Oh, that's uh, cool. And there's some video of that, which is really cool. We can play some of it right here. Susan Lee, through the park and by the tree, we were resting on the ground, looking 
Very appropriate song for them to join in on. Yes. And it's got some good duets and stuff. Uh, tri- trio? Tri- tri- triad? Triad? Trio. That doesn't sound right. It is. <laughs> That's what that is. Well, the next opener is Hell Beach. Don't know that one. Neither did I, but now I do. And I learned some of it via consequence of sound. The opener, Hell Beach, came on stage to Little Fanfare <laughs> and played a straightforward set of sludgy rock that sometimes rose above the average and got the crowd moving. They fit the bill of a band that White would get to open for him. Dressed in all black, the female lead singer had the look of a gothic Karen O. The set was solid but short, and the crowd was ready for White. So that breaks the conceit of earlier. They, they probably, sounds like they would have fit in for Dead Weather. Yeah, they sound a little like We Are Hex, like just in terms of a visual. Yeah, that's a good comparison. Female lead singer and dark gothic black. So yeah, that's moving away from the retro stuff. But moving right back into it, we have the Memphis Dolls, D-A-W-L-S. Yeah. That's ringing a bell. Yeah, they opened for him a couple times via commercial appeal. In March 2012, the band got a coveted slot opening for Jack White in a sold-out show at the New Daisy. The group so impressed the audience and White that the former White Stripes frontman invited them to open more dates on his tour. That's great. That's awesome. Yeah, and this opened, like, so many doors for them. They actually were able to open for Emmylou Harris. Wow. Yeah, and one of the singers, Rotten Combest, recalls, The Jack White thing for us was huge. We had just decided to focus on the dolls, and then that happened, almost immediately. It was really encouraging, and it just felt like we were on the right track. And then the Emmylou Harris thing happened. We definitely feel like like this is what we need to be doing. So, pretty cool stuff. And from there, we move on to Shovels and Rope. Man, another one I don't recognize. Really? I feel like they're kind of popular. They definitely did a Blue Room single that's pretty fantastic. If you haven't heard it, you should check them out. They have a really cool Tiny Desk concert, and I think that's partly where they got their notoriety. That's where I heard about them, at least, was, was through NPR. They have kind of a folksy guitar thing going on. Husband and wife band. Oh, cool. That'll do it for the Blunderbuss tour, Paul. Moving on to Lazaretto? Yeah. Let's move on to the Lazaretto tour with our friends made of coffee and cotton. (laughs) So Jack announced the opening bands for the North America and Europe tour for Lazaretto for 2015, including artist Kelly Stoltz, Paul. I don't know. Are you familiar with Kelly Stoltz? I feel like I was going to say, I feel like I remember an Eric Stoltz, but I think that's just the guy who was going to play Marty McFly. Sure. Before he got fired. What? I'm thinking of Eric Stoltz, who I think is, was the original choice to play Marty McFly in Back to the Future. <laughs> this is news to me, but okay. I'm 99% sure. Yeah, dude, Eric Stoltz. Okay. <laughs> they shot a lot of it. You can watch the footage in the special features and on the YouTube. Okay. They check it out anyway not let's <laughs> <laughs> talk about this now I'm... yeah well, sure i can't believe you don't know this i feel like you should know this i do my best to stay up to date with actors who were almost in back to the future <laughs> he played i think the ugly man in that film what what elephant man uh, the film the... <laughs> no he played the ugly man in, in mask yeah, the Jim Carrey venture mask. <laughs> Not the mask, just 
James, tell me about who are we talking about? We're talking about Jim Carrey, the star of the hit movie Mask. Just give give me the give me the dope <laughs> on the Stoltz. Okay, okay. Kelly Stoltz opened for the Rack and Tours actually in two thousand and six. Oh, yeah. That's uh, interesting. So, so this isn't his first venture into the third man world. And actually, in 2013, Kelly Stoltz released an EP on Third Man Records entitled Double Exposure. That was in September of 2013. And then he and his band served as the opening act for Jack on uh, the Lazaretto tour. Cool. Yeah. From there, we'll move on to Benjamin Booker. Not sure how familiar you are with him. I'm remembering this one. Yeah, he's like a Jack White fan who got to open up basically, during the Lazaretto tour. New York Times actually interviewed him. They said that the first record Benjamin Booker ever bought was Elephant by the White Stripes, which came out when he was in eighth grade. Uh, He says, quote, When I was 13, it was like the coolest, he recalled. Now 25, Mr. Booker, the singer-guitarist, was recently plucked to be the opening act on Jack White's current tour, though he had only written... 12 songs in his entire life. Wow. They asked him what it was like to open for him, and Benjamin said, It's insane. It's wild. When we first started playing as a band last year, we thought that it would be the end goal, five or ten years from now, to open up for Jack White. I told Jack, I don't know where we go from here. This was, like, the best. I don't know what else to do. So he kind of hit his high point early, and wow. now he's he's done. Yeah. Yeah, so existential crises is all around. That's that. That's Benjamin Booker. I don't know how many of the opening bands you can recall from the Lazaretto. I have, I have a list here, but which ones do you remember? From Lazaretto? Well, I can remember the ones that we saw, one of them being friend of the show, Olivia Jean. Yeah, Olivia Jean is one of them, which I was going to mention. She opened for Jack on a number of yep. occasions, including the Merryweather Post Pavilion, in which uh, me, you, and Mike saw. Yeah, that was a great show because as we've, I don't know, I think we've talked about it a few times, but we got to see her backstage because the Meriwether Post Pavilion is such where you can kind of, and we were seated as such, where you can kind of see a straight shot backstage. And I remember being very impressed with her and not realizing that she was in the Black Bells at the time. And that show really impressed me to the point where I wanted to listen to more of her work. And then, oh, she was in the Black Bells. Oh, this album she put out is really good. And I became a big fan after that. So that's really one of the few times an opening act ever made me want to become a fan of the opener. The only other time I can think of something remotely similar was Dr. Dog, just because they had a little moment during the Rack and Tours when they were opening for the Racks. Yeah, and I remember you bringing up Dr. Dog, and I remember hearing some people talk about Dr. Dog and that were fans of Dr. Dog, and I was like, oh, that's cool. I guess, you know, bigger bands can open up for other bands and and that was kind of my first realization of it was when you told me about that but olivia jean was another instance in which i was like oh i recognize this name and that's 
right. that's, that was new to me at the time, someone that I could recognize. Another opener I remember from the Lazaretto tour was, of course, Run the Jewels. That was a big one. We saw them open for Jack at Madison Square Garden. Yes. A fantastic opener. And again, another one like Alabama Shakes, where they were just already a thing, already a big thing. So it was almost like a double bill in that way. Yeah, and because they had huge success from their 2014 album, RTJ2, or Run the Jewels 2. And they were like on their way to becoming the biggest rap group of 2014 with like the best album of 2014. And then Jack has them opening for him at Madison Square Garden. And it's, you know, it's crazy. And it's kind of a hint of what would happen with the Boarding House Reach stuff. The rap influence is starting to creep into there a little bit. I mean, even at that show, you have Q-Tip on stage, too, which is another instance of that. But, you know, an interesting look into the type of album Lazaretto is and the type of tour Lazaretto is going to be. Right. When the news broke that they were going to be opening, a member of the band LP responded on Twitter, when you get asked to open for Jack White at MSG, you say yes. It's in the Bible. <laughs> yeah. That's really so, good. So another mainstream band that was opening for Jack on this tour was the Cold War Kids. I don't know if you're familiar with them, Paul. Oh, yes. Yeah, they're an indie, yeah, yeah. an indie rock band from Long Beach. Yeah, I know them. I didn't know they opened for Jack. That's kind of a big deal. This is coming from Rolling Stone magazine from a review from one of the shows. Local heroes, Cold War kids playing soul-shattering anthems that made them sound like they should be headlining the largest venue in Glasgow circa 1988 instead of doing an opening set surrounded by White's shrouded equipment. Singer Nathan Willett told the story of how they were supposed to open for the White Stripes at the Forum <laughs> seven years ago, a gig that got canceled when the White Stripes broke up. Oh. When Jack White is around, the past bubbles up in unexpected but gratifying ways. Interesting. Yeah, and I thought that was an interesting little tidbit. And, you know, the Cold War Kids are definitely a band that you could see opening for the Stripes, yeah. you know, back then. Right. Next we have curtis harding an american singer and songwriter who opened for jack on this tour as well he's primarily a soul artist he's okay. got something called slop and soul style <laughs> kind of like rock and roll and oh, okay all right yeah i was ready to like it no matter what the follow-up was pulls influence from blues and gospel and psychedelia r&b and rock and i'm pulling this from wikipedia uh-huh. next up we have william tyler who warmed up for loretta lynn at the bridgestone arena really i didn't know william tyler was in the mix that early yeah that's surprising i'm surprised he was in the mix this early although thinking about it he did that recording with the dead weather in i want to say 2015 yeah the disgrace land stuff yeah that was 2015 yeah yeah so that's only a year difference so yeah okay i guess i can see it yeah yeah and uh loretta lynn we did a whole episode about her if you want to check that out you can dive into our back catalog and i believe we talk about her opening for jack during that episode right really neat to have loretta there as an opener and william tyler there you know i know they were kind of co-billed there yeah but you know still really cool is that the one where brendan and it was yeah 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 it was most of the raconteurs slash most of the band that appeared on her van Lee rose album and they did portland oregon together and it sounded great yeah it did and like 10 years after the fact too (laughs) yeah and i think 
I think this is coming close to when they were releasing Family of Rose again in the vault. Oh, in the vault. Yeah. Cool little lineup. You know, it was that vault that made me realize I needed to stop screwing around and just get the vault because I really regret not having that vault because I, I love the Van Lear Rose album. I have the DVD that came with it because they did that flash sale a little while back. Oh my god! We're having a fire sale! But I wish I had that vinyl, particularly the anniversary version because I would listen to that. It was seeing yours, I think, when I was visiting that made me just realize I need to just stop and just get the vaults and just stop this <laughs> madness. Well, it's that vault and that album, really, that made me realize I like Loretta Lynn as an act, even. Yeah. Yeah. Next up, we got Chicano Batman, four-piece L.A. band. Right. Now, I've been seeing this a lot, and I don't know what it means. <laughs> what does it all mean? Um, well, they do chill music with a mix of English and Spanish. Okay. While doing research for this band, it blew my mind with how crazy some of this stuff was because, you know, it's just an opening band. I, I didn't think there was much of a connection, but there's a surprising amount of connection to Jack White and the Lazaretto tour band because apparently they were introduced to Jack via Ike Owens, the keyboardist for the Lazaretto tour band, uh, the late, great Ike Owens, very good, from the Mars Volta as well. Oh, cool. Yeah, in an interview they did, they say, Before I describe my experience on this tour, I gotta say that Isaiah Ike Owens was the man who made it happen. May he rest in power. Our friend Ike, best known for his work tearing up the keys with the Mars Volta, was an integral part of Mr. White's band always bringing magically passionate vibes until his untimely passing last November. His death hit us all hard. Ike was scheduled to fly in from Nashville to produce our next EP. His energy was always present Ugh. on every stage and part of our prayers before every show. We were also blessed with stories told by Jack White's staff describing the Chicano Batman tee he wore and the Chicano bat stickers he would tag wow. the tour bus with. <laughs> and so that gave me the instant star of approval uh, yeah. because if Ike likes them, I better get to know them. You know, their music is pretty good. I really found myself digging it. So neat stuff. Cool. Yeah. And they sign off that interview by saying, Jack White, we definitely appreciate you having us as your opener. And if such a decision was influenced by your desire to change America's musical landscape, we love you all the more. Shirt did oh. some opening this early okay. on. Shirt would come to be known to the Third Man world as the first rapper ever signed on to the label. Yeah. So Shirt opened for the London show, at least. And uh, moving right along, as long as we're in the European part of the tour, we'll move on to Omulcu Sobolani. You're trying, James, and that's what's uh, important. The, the Romanian band. Fun. Or Man with Rats, in English. <laughs> like, a, like a cellar full of rats. Like a seller of rats. Not a seller of rats, one who sells rats, but a seller oh, yeah, full yeah, well, of rats. 
Yeah. The Rat Keller. Yeah, I'm trying to think of the movie about the guy with the rats, and I want to say Willow, but I think that's just the young man. Um, <laughs> it's Willard, <laughs> and also originally starring Eric Stoltz. Is it really? <laughs> no, but it originally it stars Crispin Glover, which brings us full circle to something that has nothing to do well, with I know our Eric topic. Stoltz originally uh, played, played Willard and Willow uh, for half the movie, and then they decided to uh, fire him. <laughs> Can you imagine half of the half of Willow is Eric Stoltz, and instead of people looking down, they're all looking up. And that's our review of Willow, starring Eric Stoltz. <laughs> um, so, according to Romanian Wikipedia, Man with Rats is an alternative Romanian rock band uh, founded in 97. Currently, the band is composed of Dan... Amarie on vocals, Nicolae Nuku Arama on guitar, Radu Andre <laughs> on bass guitar, and Minya Dobrota on drums. So I got those very wrong, and I apologize to every Romanian speaker out or there. Or at least at a, a close enough approximation. <laughs> yeah, good, good enough is what i say um yeah so there's that man with rats next we have luscious in the uk opened up for jack this is via with guitars they're a brooklyn-based quintet they're currently on tour throughout europe sold out shows in london leeds and dublin and are pleased to announce they will be extending their visit as direct support for jack white on the european leg of his november tour the band is extremely honored and excited to be touring with Jack White, which will bring them to see their biggest shows to date, culminating in London's O2 on the 19th of November. So that's luscious. Cool. And last but not least on the Lazaretto Tour openers, we have The Kills opened for Jack White in Dublin. Hey! Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh, Wow. That's quite a double bill. Yeah. This is via goldenpleck.com. It's the kills who open the Endampened Evening. Apparently it was raining a lot during that show. Cutting their typical cool across the stage, Allison Mosshart in particular embraces the heirdom to rock chick prototype, all dirty blonde hair, screams, and skinny jeans. When she sits down for a cigarette during tape song, it looks so effortlessly cool that you feel she must be working extremely hard. Rock chic or chick? Are you sure it's not chic? K. So, this is gold plex said rock chick. Okay. Wow. All right. Well, they're why don't why not just rock? Because she's like she may as well be Robert Plant up there, and it you know yeah she is she is the epitome of rock and roll, and anybody can see that once they see the kills or the dead weather. She is slinky and awesome and just badass so the kills played and they also at least allison got back on stage to back up love interruption oh. uh, with jack during the wow, main show awesome. which is pretty awesome Change my friends to enemies. Change my friends to 
That's going to do it for Lazaretto Tour. Should we move on down to Boarding House Reach and, I don't know, walk, walk a dog or something? Okay, Paul, let's start with a giant dog. Fun. A giant dog here? Now? <laughs> um, a giant dog had a bit of a reputation before opening up for Jack, so they were kind of a known band before that. This is via the Dallas Observer Review. It would be criminal not to give a shout-out to opening act A Giant Dog. The Austin four-piece has been making some waves lately with its furious, amped-up blend of punk rock snarl and garage rock ethos. Led by frontwoman Sabrina Ellis, the band roared its way through an amped-up 40-minute set that barely paused for a second to slow things down. So, A Giant Dog, very well received on the nice. on the Boarding House Reach tour. Sorry, A Giant Dog was very, very well received. Um, <laughs> which I would receive a, a giant dog. That seems, that seems fun. Yeah, so on this tour, the Boarding House Reach tour, you have a lot of different types of acts that Jack is choosing. So you have, you know, some garage rock, some punk rock. You have country. You have a lot of third man acts that you know, started to come around during the Lazaretto tour, but are now, you know, full-fledged yeah. acts of their own, you know, third-man signed acts. Right. So I saw William Tyler at the show I saw in San Diego. There wasn't an opening act at the Mayan because that was like a preview show. And obviously you can't count the festivals having opening acts. But, you know, William Tyler was a holdover from the Lazaretto opening acts, apparently, which is interesting to find out. And then Olivia Jean as well, we know. And her band opened for Jack on some of these shows. Mm. And as we found out last episode, they were crowd testing some songs that would wind up on her new album, Night Owl, which is pretty fun. Yeah. And on top of those, you have new acts like Joshua Headley or Aha. Margo Price Ooh. or Craig Brown Band. You have Olivia Jean, William Tyler. You have shirt you have lily may in there who previously was playing in the lazaretto band and is now out there on her own promoting her new solo record forever and then some which she is now releasing her second album which is really great yeah and we're gonna uh, get into some other lily may stuff a little later on this season stay tuned it's gonna be pretty exciting yeah and uh since my baby is now wide awake i'm going to kind of rush through some of these last ones but um yeah, we have Gowalt in Germany. We have Kazuskoma in Russia. We have Negative Approach. We've got The Nude Party, Matiel. We've got Crownlands in Ontario, Canada. We've got D-Mob Happy in Edinburgh. And then we got David Nance Group. David Nance is an American rock guitarist and singer from uh, Grand Island, Nebraska. I just found this really funny. He was interviewed in reference to opening for Jack White. He says, yeah, I just reached out to them. No, Ben Swank from Third Man is into our sh- and I don't know how Jack found out about us, but I assume it was through Ben. We just got an email that said, yo, can you play these two shows? The funniest part about it is that we had to say no to one of them because we already had one booked. The <laughs> one we did was crazy. It was insane. We played to 5,000 people at a minor league baseball stadium. Wow. I tripped the fuck out before that. I would thought the pinnacle of my life would be playing a show for 500 people. Maybe. It was just a total mind. <laughs> 
do something like this. So really funny story there about opening for Jack White from David Nance Group. And finally, we have... The last opening band on our list, we have Radkey and Paul. I think we got a little something special planned around Radkey. Let's say we kick it to our third man this week, Isaiah Radkey from the band Radkey. I'm saying Radkey an awful lot. Yeah, let's kick it to our third man for this week. Kick it to our third man. We'd like to welcome our special guests today, Isaiah Radke of the band Radke. They opened for Jack White. They're a phenomenal band of three brothers. Their latest album is No Strange Cat's Paw. We'd like to welcome Isaiah Radke. How's it going? It's going good. It's amazing to talk to you. We've been looking forward to this for a while. We're big fans of your music. Thank you so much. Yeah, this is totally, totally cool. Yeah, getting to know your music has been a real joy. We learned about you guys because we're Jack White fans. We had heard about your music when you started opening for him, and then we've been able to take a dive into all of this work, and it is phenomenal. Thank you. That story seems to be true with a lot of people who follow Jack White around. You know, a lot of people we talked to brought you to our attention, and and it's just been, been a joy. So thank you for the great music, first of all. Oh, of course. Of course. Yeah, you've got some super fans out there in the Jack community. Uh, a special shout out to Tam Davis, who actually contributed a couple questions to this interview that we'll get to in a moment. I assure you, they're super hardball questions and they're <laughs> yeah. gonna really put you on the spot isaiah so. <laughs> good good <laughs> just brace yourself <laughs> i want it let's talk a little bit about uh, your origins as a band because you guys are three brothers from missouri what was the impetus to start this band it's a family band yes family band all of us are brothers you know and well d started playing guitar and he was starting to get pretty good and the thing that started the whole thing was our dad brought this movie school of rock home and (laughs) yeah dude and that's intense because they had a lot of awesome music in it and dad had all of that music so we were able to dive into a lot of the good stuff in that movie that makes you feel like super pumped up and stuff like ramones uh led zeppelin obviously uh yeah so we picked up some instruments Solomon and I, we kind of dropped out a little bit, and D kept the music going, and he was playing guitar and drums for a long time. Uh-huh. And once he got invited to be in this cover band to fill in using the bass, it was kind of like, whoa, someone can get out there and like really play some music and actually get out of the house, because we were homeschooled, so that was like kind of a rare thing. Right, so, yeah. mm-hmm. totally. So, uh, yeah, then I'm like, well, I want to play my bass, so let's start a band. And because, you know, everyone wants the attention, especially in the brotherhood. So let's like all do it together. <laughs> and yeah, dude, we practiced all the time and it, it pretty much came from School of Rock and then D filling in for a cover band for a while and letting us know that things can really happen. That's amazing. Just speaking to your stage presence, I would like to point out for the listening audience, you tend to be, at least as far as I can see, the more animated one on the stage. Totally. <laughs> you're sort of jumping, you're jumping around there, and I, it's a wonderful balance between the three of you when you're playing. I don't know if you fall into that naturally just as brothers, or if that was just something that came through countless hours of practice, but just the way you sync up with each other is kind of amazing to see on stage. 
Thank you. Yeah, it's it's definitely the homeschool hanging out with each other all the time. We all love each other, so there's a really good bond there and and you know, the energy I would say comes from being like the middle brother, you know, you really kind of fight and, and then also a bassist. So I'm all like, you know, yeah. <laughs> let's let's get some uh let's not be in the back, you know. So <laughs> right. yeah, like <laughs> and it's easy with three people. Yeah, Paul McCartney. Yeah, yeah, dude, exactly. And him, uh Paul McCartney John Entwistle are like my main influences and they are nice. totally not in the back. That's awesome. In different ways as well. Yeah. What's the music scene like in Missouri? Is there a good selection of like live music or good clubs, like any favorite clubs that you were playing? Where did the live shows start for you and what are some of your favorites out there? I would say it started in Kansas City at Record Bar and which was really cool because we were underage pretty far when we started the band <laughs> and we were able to um, well, the cool thing is Steve Tulipana, he who owns the record bar in Kansas City, he was a musician as well, and currently is still playing in awesome bands. And he booked us and then booked us again that same night. And that was really cool because it was like, you know, we need people booking us as a band, you know, starting underage. So we got to get like credibility going. So yeah, that was amazing. Right. Huh. So yeah, lots of cool places. Riot Room was cool, Kansas City. I would say the music scene has been getting better and better in Kansas City, but it was cool when we were kind of coming up in it as teens nice yeah i don't know how familiar you are with ben blackwell but he is jack's nephew and had a similar issue when he was touring with jack white when he was a teenager Mm -hmm. he uh, had a had a lot of bars that he wasn't allowed into even though he was in the band (laughs) uh at the time Uh. but uh we were talking about your brothers and your family you know having a, a close relationship my brother and i host this podcast to work together and we love it how is working with your family in the context of touring because you said you're homeschooled so you're obviously seeing them quite often even mm-hmm. even outside of the band you're seeing them day in day out yes. how is it working with them it's really like super easy really amazing like a dream because we were really easy on like the songwriting as far as like whoever has the best idea gets to kind of go forward like and we all agree when someone comes up with the best idea so that's a good like positive no one's ever like battling for like the point of view or like the uh you know the spotlight or you know my idea gets to make it just because i need to contribute or whatever right so that's really nice and that eliminates a lot of problems you get with songwriting and it's yeah really easy for us because we all kind of grew up on the same music so we all like the same stuff and we're all pretty different like it all makes a pretty interesting sound like whenever we put it all together yeah Did the band ever turn into a, a class itself? Like instead of instead of doing any kind of other work, we're just going to focus on the band today. Pretty much, I mean, the band was a really serious thing pretty early, so we were pretty much neglecting 
everything for the band and and that pretty much continued until now i mean it worked out but like man we were taking a uh you know huge gamble on it you know yeah just yeah. ignoring ignoring all the real stuff you have to worry about you were in a literal school of rock a home school of rock totally totally the sound you guys make is is really interesting because I, I love the the juxtaposition of that crisp I guess sort I guess baritone kind of vocal that D is doing mixed with that fuzzier kind of punk sound gives me an almost like new wavy vibe. Totally. Uh, would you say you're pulling from that at all as an influence or like did any new wave bands slip in there or? Absolutely. I know you mentioned classic bands. Uh, do you want to rattle off maybe some uh, some new wave stuff, maybe some more modern stuff you guys are listening to? Yeah, like I would the Stranglers, is that that counts, right? Sure. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a really big one for us. And uh, let's see, like Devo is really huge for us, and nice. I really love that that band, the Network that they, they and Green Day kind of collaborated on. So oh, yeah. all of that kind of stuff is nuts. And then, um, oh man, there's there's some that are kind of slipping my mind, but they're all on like some of our playlists. But they do that song. It's like all I ever wanted, all I ever needed is here. In your uh, arms, whatever that band is, what is Depeche Mode? Yeah, love that. Do you guys ever slip into Talking Heads kind of material at all? Totally, not like a crap load. Like while we were recording, like Love Spills, I believe La Song and stuff like that. Our engineer yeah. had some records on by them that I was really into, and I kind of wish I could have got the name of it. But that's a band I'm really wanting to kind of dig deeper in. Yeah. Did it kind of come naturally to follow bands like that? Or were these just parts of your dad's record collection or uh, one of your brother's collections or your collection? How'd you kind of find these bands? It all came from dad's record collection, pretty much. And dad listened to so many things. So if you ever started leaning in any kind of area, he would know a good amount of bands like from Mm -hmm. that kind of style, which is great. So we always were able to steer towards like the best like artists that were in whatever genre we were kind of getting into sure yeah Hmm. yeah this question comes from a listener to our show and a big fan of yours tam davis she asks where do the ideas for your music videos come from and how do you link up with the creative teams that made them uh and then she adds that your videos are the best (laughs) (laughs) and uh i agree the one that sticks out in my brain the most is glore that music video is amazing and we can get into that in a little bit but you know it's the claymation alone is like uh stunning i'm an, I'm an animator myself so so seeing that was like really nice where do the ideas come from and how do you link up with the creative teams well we kind of get around a little bit and the cool thing we met nikos livesey i believe that's how you pronounce his last name and he was in england and he was in this band throne like kind of like a stoner metal kind of thing it was super cool a lot like that band sleep and yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Th- he uh, hit us up and he was like, "Dude, you guys want to do like a music video, like some kind of claymation thing?" He's like, "He's like, hit us up with like wh- everything you love and everything you hate, just like from your life, everything." And it's like, "Okay, cool. We hate like corrupted data. We hate like you know, Hey Arnold or whatever, some cartoons, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> then a bunch of stuff we loved." And then that kind of cl- made this kind of weird like 
just thing from our lives, just everything we loved and hated, just everything in one video. And we like Walsh and Gromit as well, so that's perfect. I always mention that. Yeah. Some of our other dudes were Kansas City, like uh, Romance Dawn. Like, like we really love like anime and like animation and all that stuff. So all that kind of nerdy stuff, we're always into ideas like that. And uh, you know, Love Spills was a pretty weird one. Another one we. <laughs> kind of collaborated on and we just wanted that to be like a kind of like a weird nightmare kind of thing i'm happy you mentioned that romance dawn video because it is stunning i love the graphic quality and the and the use of color in that it's kind of jack-esque in a way totally yeah he's known for his use of color Mm -hmm. maybe that was one of the things that attracted him to you guys as a band you know i guess that's a nice sort of segue into how you guys got hooked up for the boarding house reach tour Mm -hmm. can you tell us a little bit about how your paths crossed with Jack White? Yeah, we got uh, really lucky. There was this ad campaign for MasterCard that was looking for bands that uh, were you kind of judged before they were really checked out. Labels don't work for a band like Radge because, you know, people are like, oh man, how are you guys not like MCs? You know, what? They're like, how'd you do that? It's like, yeah. you don't have to listen to a certain kind of music, you know, because your skin color. Wouldn't that be weird? That would suck. That'd be weird. You can't judge a sister by looking at a brother. You can't judge a brother by looking at the cover. Acceptance from our audience is just like, you know, when they're singing the songs yeah. and they're vibing with it. Just letting loose. Accepting us and our music and being like, sweet. Yeah, I like it. Just like rock it out, love each other, love the music. Like we had a history in people thinking we were like a rap group without ever checking out the music and Mm. listening that we were like a rock band or whatever. So we got pretty much booked on that commercial thing for that reason, which was cool. And then, uh, so that thing airing, it aired during the Grammys. And then luckily we got booked on the Jack White tour and turns out Jack just saw that commercial. We were in it for like a couple seconds and he was like, let's book him. And we got on that tour, and it was super lucky and, like, super awesome because, you know, we've been listening to his music since we were kids, you know? And yeah, so we just considered that being like, oh, cool, so we're, like, a real, like, rock band now. Like, <laughs> really cool. It took a long time. but like, So we're like, man, that's awesome, you know? It's amazing. What was it like in those huge venues that Jack was using during that tour? It was pretty mind-blowing, man. Like, it was some life-changing stuff. Like, I'm really stoked to have that experience to bring to all kinds of other stages. Like, that was, like, just to be, to get in on, like, how that kind of tour works is super awesome and really good to know. Like, just, like, you know, how to handle it and, like, how, you know, it sounds and, you know, because you even got to count that, you know, your fast songs could possibly not sound as fast but you can't freak out because you're you're hearing the sound kind of crazy you know there's a lot of things to think about it's it was really a really awesome experience i always wondered how that works with the sound on the stage there's like a monitor that kicks the sound back to you right is that that's how that works yes are you guys all wearing earplugs how did what's the 
Explain that to me, please. <laughs> Paul's doing his best Jerry Seinfeld. What's the deal with concerts? What's the deal? <laughs> well, yeah, dude, we wear earplugs. We wear earplugs, and we've never, we not graduated to, like, in-ears or anything yet, but, yeah, dude, earplugs and just the perfect monitor mix and just also being used to terrible monitor mixes in clubs. <laughs> like, so, like, that, getting used to that, like, pretty much being able to play without hearing yourself at all, is the yeah. best like so no then you can pretty much play anywhere and hear however weird it sounds like we always think about the beatles like they had to play sets without hearing anything so it's like man and they did it so it's like you just have to be able to do that like standard yeah a buddy of ours uh saw you at the anthem opening up for jack and the anthem's a huge venue me my brother and my friend we all talk about how we like bands in different contexts as far as smaller or large venues and i'm curious does that translate to you as well do you do you have a preference for a smaller or a larger venue to perform in yeah i mean each one has like a really good thing to it but i would say it's really hard to pick between like a nice like 300 cap club or like a you know couple thousand level theater those are pretty like it's really hard to choose because i've had really fun shows at both and it's like man it's like i don't it's that's a tough one it may it may go to clubs because like a truly good crazy club show is i don't know if you can really match that it always feels a little more intimate between the band and the audience too at a a smaller venue like that where it just feels a little more like a one-on-one interaction or you know, a one in 300 interaction, but still. <laughs> totally. Totally. So you prefer the caverns to the Shea stadiums. I get it. I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that tour must have been insane. Do you have any fun memories you can share from stories on the road with Jack and his band? Did you get to mingle at all with the group? And Yeah, like we, it was, it was really cool. After the, f- I want to say it was the last show, Jack told us that the whole band was into our band and super into the rock and jam. So we were like, that's really cool. So he said that normally it's like, you know, you, you just want to kind of chill out and stuff, but like everyone was checking out our music. So that was really awesome to hear and super you know, it helps you keep going, you know, and then like we got to hang out at uh, like the after show thing and that was cool, like just to kind of hang out with like the fans and stuff. And yeah, it felt good. It felt good to be in on the rock scene, like the high level rock and rock scene. And it was a uh, felt like a super honor. It was good stuff. Like it's almost like a dream. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like Jack has talked about searching for the the young wildness in rock and roll. And I know he's lamented the fact that he feels like rock and roll is right now largely void of young wildness. And so you guys must have represented that to him, you know, in that moment. And I'm sure he was just excited to see people such as yourselves doing the kind of rock music that he was doing when he was a kid. You know what I mean? Totally, man. That's so awesome. Cause I read that article where he mentioned that, like how there, yeah. there is some rock going on. Like he definitely knows about it. I'm like, man, that's cool. Like that's cool. He's in on like what's going on. Cause like, you know, we're all in the scene, like the underground. So we know there's a lot of cool bands and stuff. So it's like, it's cool that he's still in on the rock scene. That's, still happening and there's interesting things in uh that's super cool yeah nice we've been going through your catalog and we've noticed that the sound varies quite a bit from you know like dark black makeup has this kind of 
skater punk kind of vibe to it as opposed to like a grittier garage song like Glore. Mm-hmm. How do you approach creating music? Because I know you said that uh, you guys all sit down and write notes. Is there a typical songwriter or is it just a, a true collaborative effort? It's a pretty – it's a huge like collaborative thing and there are a few roles that like some of us are better at. Like for instance, like I pretty much handle all the lyrics and – D will do a lot of melodies, but then again, like there are a lot of times where Saul, like for instance, our song "Not Smart," like that's started by like Solomon, and then like, you know, I've got like the melody for like dark black makeup. Kids these days, they want it all. They just trip, trip and fall. It's always dead. It's always dead. I'm tired. cat and mouse and he's got a lot of melodies and you know it's like it's all like we all come up with like the main melody a lot but then like it's like the rest of the song that gets like extra good like so pretty much you start off with a melody and then the whole song pretty much goes from there whether it gets like darker or faster and we've always pretty much wanted to keep it as weird as possible and not be considered one kind of genre besides just kind of straight rock which means just like a lot of things you know yeah because people try to like, kind of pigeonhole us in the punk vibe for a long time which was cool because we didn't really know how to write anything besides that but like we were always like you know we want to be like cheap trick and stuff man like so don't, <laughs> don't don't get weird on us which they did once we put out dark black makeup it was very different you know yeah and but it was like hey man this is the music we want to make like we learned how to make it bigger so that's what we're doing you know so we always just try to do as many weird things as possible to let people know that it's gonna keep changing and keep you know guitars and drums are never leaving like i can say that guaranteed but you know it's gonna get pretty weird (laughs) yeah i mean experimentation is one of the key fundamentals of art you know you gotta you gotta keep pushing the boundaries and you know exactly Obviously, me and Paul are, you know, we talk a lot about Jack White and stuff. He did that with Boarding House Reach. And uh, I think a change in style or a shakeup in songwriting is is always um, not only unexpected, but, you know, delightful from bands. Keeps it fresh. Totally, dude. And you got to keep it fresh. You got to stay entertained with your own band, man. You can't just, like, keep the same stuff pumping out, you know? Exactly. People don't know what they like. You have to tell them. (laughs) (laughs) You haven't only opened for Jack. You've opened for a ton of different groups. And uh, just to rattle off a few here, Black Joe Lewis, Local H, Titus Andronicus, Descendants. One of the ones that jumped out to me was The Offspring. And I can hear a bit of The Offspring kind of style. Oh, yeah, dude. Yeah, and a few of your tracks, like Sank in particular from Delicious Rock Noise. And I only kind of f***ed around with Americana for a minute Mm -hmm. when I was younger, but... But I didn't really go beyond that. Uh, it must have been really cool to tour with them and to open for them. Any 
any fun stories or experiences you can share with us uh, about your time with the offspring yeah dude like because the offspring during our time I, I feel like it was our early 20s and stuff teens when we were touring around like we they were always around like we'd be playing shows and stuff and you know their their greatest hits was in our childhood forever yeah. so when we finally got to open for them that was really cool and then we had before that though we had played multiple european festivals with them just like oh, you know cool. just around so they're always just had always their music has even been like physically like happening in our lives so it was really cool like to the point where we did finally get to open for them it was like our fifth time seeing them yeah and we were like eating some pizza and we were just like dude we've played with offspring so many times now that we were just like <laughs> they're like pizza entertainment level what the hell <laughs> we're fucking chilling out sitting down like it was awesome dude it's like that that's the amount of times i would have i like to see the offspring and it was Super cool, weird, awesome. I had the pleasure of seeing him uh, last year, actually, in Allentown. It was the most fun music I have experienced in this town <laughs> yet. It was like, it was rocking. Like, I, I, I really enjoyed the show. It dude, it, it's so much fun, dude. That's so true. Yeah. James, you saw The Offspring? What, yeah. Why every episode you bring up a band I had no idea you ever saw? I thought I, I thought I knew. I thought I knew you, James. Who are you? They were headlining the state fair or whatever. It was great. I loved it. It was fantastic. <laughs> Wild. Another question from one of our listeners, Tam. She asks about your cats. How are they? And who is the troublemaker of the group? Oh, yeah. They're doing awesome. And we just moved. So we got another cat. We adopted another little guy. And his name is Lee. And is we named him after Lee Van Cleef because he looks a lot like Lee Van Cleef. <laughs> and uh, I, I was thinking that could go either way. I was thinking yeah. maybe Getty Lee. I wasn't sure where you were going with it, but okay. <laughs> yeah, dude, he's the troublemaker. He's really cool. And we knew he was the one because, like, once, like, we adopted him, he, like, flipped his table in his little kennel and, like, f***ed it all up. And I was like, dude, yeah, dude, he knows it's time to f***ing rock. Get out of there. And we figured out he he wasn't even in there for a day. Like, he just, that was the day he got in. So his life has been pretty sweet. Wow. Oh, my God. Long live Lee. Yeah, dude. May he forever cause uh, trouble and uh, get into <laughs> shit he's not supposed to get into. Oh, yeah, dude. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so what's next for Radkey? What can fans look forward to coming down the pike from you guys? What do you got coming up? And I know we spoke to your dad, your manager, who mentioned that you were preparing to go on uh, tour. What do you got coming up that uh, fans can look forward to? We have a new album that's going to drop sometime later this year, and we're really stoked on oh, it. Oh, fantastic. Uh, we've got... Some some Great. pretty new sounding stuff. Like we're we're working on some stuff we've never really kind of done before. For instance, some songs like we really worked out on the acoustic before they kind of blew out. So, like you know, so you really know the melodies are really in there. And then we're we're doing some crazy stuff. And then so that's going to be happening. And some more touring and. Yeah, dude, really stoked on releasing that new music because I, I really want people to hear what's going on. Fantastic. That's super exciting. I can't wait to hear the new music. Is there any teasers you can give us of the new direction or any favorite songs you got cooking so far? You want to save that for the release? Yeah, okay. So I would say, you know how Delicious Rock Noise is a little more on the groovy side? Yeah. Kind of yeah. stonery? There's a little swing to little swing to that one, yeah. little swing, yeah, yeah. Good amount of that. Now, this album... 
There's none of that. It's more classic. It rock. It's heavy, but it's more classic rock decisions. Like more oh, like cool. the guitars are like really in there with like the strum, kind of like the Who, you know, stuff like that. Like we're getting really into mm-hmm. some of that like serious classic rock stuff. But like obviously like a modern take on it, really throwing some more classic instead of like more of like the metal kind of thing we're, we're really doing some stuff that we never really knew how to do before nice that sounds really exciting that's awesome <laughs> totally dude yeah so we encourage all the listeners to go out there see a rad key show it's f- awesome uh <laughs> these guys rule you can learn more about them on their website radkey.net you could find them all over. They're opening for the next Jack White tour at some point. I'm sure Jack White will have you back. <laughs> Offspring's going to have you back. Like I, I'm excited for you guys. This is it's it's great. I love it. Love the music. Thank you, thank you. That means yeah. so much, dude. I, I to have Jack White fans actually give a f- about like our music is is <laughs> totally mind blowing and really means the world to us. Jack White is known for many things, but one of the things that he's done a lot has been being a tastemaker for his record label, Third Man Records. And one of the things that we love about that Third Man world is being introduced to so many different artists. And we were really thrilled to hear your music because it has a, a truth to it and a, a bite to it. And it's it, it struck a chord in me as when I heard it for the first time. So beautiful stuff, man. We love your band. Dude, thank you so much, man. Thank you. I'm going to have an amazing, amazing rest of today. (laughs) Good. Us too. Us too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so uh, thank you very much for joining us, uh, and uh, we'll get back to the show, James. What what do you say? Yeah, sounds good. Thank you, man. No problem. Thank you. Thank you to Isaiah Radkey from the band Radkey for joining us. This was an incredible way to what we thought was going to be the start of the season, and then we had the Olivia Jean episode come out first, but uh, the Radkey family was so kind to us and very, very cool, so we want to thank them very much. That was awesome. We have a couple shout-outs we want to give to new listeners of the show. We have Eric's Carl Romero. We have Toby Brown. We have Leslie Narig. We have Tim Barnes. We have Chris Smith, Phil. Philip Lounsbury, we have Lisa Clifford, uh, we have so many more. Thank you, everybody who has been interacting with us on social media. We would also like to thank some of our regular listeners to the show, people like Eileen, we see you over there, Corsano, has been interacting with us a lot lately. We also have My Oh Me, It's Me Oh My, we have uh, Brian Walter, Be Nicer to Me, um, of course, the ever-present and wonderful Flying Vito, Vito Hicks. And uh, why don't we uh, end here with the Brett 3 Killed Mike Garski. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. All right. And if you'd like to be one of those shout-outs, you can find us on a number of places on our social medias and, and talk to us, and we'll, uh, we'll shout you out. Uh, for instance, you can find us on Facebook. Yeah, we, James, you're absolutely right. Facebook.com slash Third Men. Twitter at Third Mencast. You can go to Tumblr, thirdmenpodcast.tumblr.com. You can head to our WordPress page, thethirdmen.wordpress.com. Shoot us an email, thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, Pippa is the host of our show. James is romantically involved with Pippa. It's gross. We also have our YouTube 
channel, which James has a lot of fun animations and such on there. That's youtube.com slash C slash the third men podcast. And uh, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. If you give us a five-star review with a crazy and super corny pun in there somewhere, James will draw you a sailing vessel and send it to you. So that's all kinds of fun. (laughs) You uh, can send us... That's that is a thing that happened. You can send us a listener question and uh, just send that to our emails. Or if you have a listener question, you want to send it over our social channels. You can do that. And we would like to thank Sam Kubert and Tom Valenti for the help in the recording of our theme song, "Where the Third Men," as well as Susanna Roundtree for the lovely intros and outros of our program. And James has got a baby going yes. crazy here. James, until next week, I'll be looking for a home holding your baby, and I will be looking for a home on Jack White's stage. Open it up. Look out. Thanks for joining us, everybody. We'll see you next time. For more information or to contact the show, visit thethirdmen.wordpress.com or email at thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at thirdmencast on Twitter and search The Third Men on Facebook. See you next time. seeing the bits that we're recording like in chunks and I have no idea if it's actually recording or not and I think it is because I see some waveforms but it's um, <laughs> if that yes. wasn't the case this episode got dark <laughs> got real dark real quick um, well this is embarrassing <laughs> <laughs> the triple X featuring Riddick star I forget his Vin Diesel the man who sounds like a truck brand you know some of them were a slog but here we are yeah well you know you slogged along with us so you're freezing right on the song tell me tell me who tell me more tell me more did you get very far is that they talking about sex there get very far yes I'm, I am seeing waveforms so like it's capturing something <laughs> it's just capturing the 45 tuba men <laughs> anyway <laughs> yeah third men podcast in syndication yeah. we've reached 100 episodes Paul we can do we, it again we're legally not allowed to say we're in syndication so okay. James uh, I know this because there's a band called the Rancor Pit. <laughs> but the Rancor lives <laughs> in a dungeon. No, it's called the Rancor Pit because it's a pit. You fall into it. It's a pit. I don't know, James. What's the vagina emoji? I'm... 
shirt. And just bubble wrapped uh, your your gift, by the way. Uh, it is going to be in transit today. Um, this morning. Oh, okay. Well, I'm, I'm tickled with anticipation. <laughs> uh, don't tickle too. Don't tickle yourself too hard. <laughs> At a certain point, I'm like, man, Pat. Pat, that's what I call him. We're buddies. Yeah. I'm like, hey, listen. I, Pat's a real keel head. <laughs> Just throw your damn sticks. What do they cost? Four dollars? Just throw the sticks. You know what I mean? <laughs> Just give us the stick. <laughs> Just give us the stick. <laughs> don't take the stick. I have a feeling a lot of this season is going to be like us just figuring out when we can possibly do this. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.